Welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary, a show all about the stupid things that wealthy people have bought or done through the ages because they just live vastly different lives than us. It's been a while. Uh, hi, I'm your host, Haley, and over there is my co-host, Steven. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Sorry for literally dropping off the face of the planet. It's been a lot and it's been a while, but it is super good to be back. Hello, Haley. Hello. So it's to, been I like know. six months. We got <sighs> some very nice messages from people being like, are you guys ever coming back? And it's like, yeah, we didn't announce a hiatus. We didn't do no. we, we were like we weren't expecting a hiatus. And then it happened. And then I kept forgetting to check like social media. And we just it's been it's been a time. Yeah. It's been a time that it has. That I mean, that's that's a perfect way to sum it up. I mean, not just with the pandemic, but just pandemic plus jobs plus, um, you know, hopefully our nation and economy now getting to a place where we can have some peace and less strife, less aggravation, less. Dude, my boyfriend Garrett got uh, his first round of the shot yesterday. We're very excited. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm waiting for it to, to open up here in Oklahoma. Um, uh, I know my job has is eventually going to make it to, you know, not not that they can make it mandatory yet, because I don't know if they can actually do that. But I know that they have all encouraged us uh, to um, to get the shot. And if nothing else, I want to get it because I want to I want to feel safe around my parents. I want to feel safe around um, other other close friends that we haven't been able to see, and also for my job too as well. I want to be able out to go out and see my customers, and um, in order, and especially with some of the customers I have, I'm I will be required to have that anyways just to go see them. So, uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's just the smart and safe thing to do. So I'm just waiting for. Oh, absolutely yeah. no! Like my my only goal right now. So my aunt gifted me. Um, she gifted me my grandmother's teacup collection. Ooh. And they're all so cute I and like bet. little fine china. They're all like painted with roses and they all have their own little saucer and everything. And literally since receiving those, my only goal in life is like I want to have a garden tea party and I want to invite all of my friends who I haven't seen in a year and we are all going to get dressed to the nines. We're going to be wearing the white gloves and the big poofy skirts and like white linen suits and I want to have an outdoor tea party. And the only way that's going to happen is with a vaccine. Hell yeah. So. <laughs> that sounds fancy AF, Haley. I love love that uh, well it's it's not yeah it's fancy but it's more just i want to play dress up so bad i want to play dress up so bad and now i have the teacups to go with it and i'm gonna make some fancy like scones and clotted cream i don't even like scones but uh like the whole clotted cream and like cucumber sandwiches and so i don't know that just feels so stupid and trivial and i want to do it so very badly <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds but so yeah, that's, amazing that's, though I know, right? That, that's my whole goal is I want to get dressed up. So that's – we all have things that we're fighting for. And you know what? If I can just keep looking forward and keep working through me having overtime every single Sunday since January started. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's another reason why we haven't been here is just like – so I know that we uh, – hiatus, informally hiatus. Right. But it's because, like Stephen said, work has been absolutely nuts. The landscape architecture community has just been booming, which is weird. Um, we're thankful, but it's weird. But we've all just been like, 
Oh, we're um overworked. We're overworked. We're a firm with ten people, and uh... oh yeah, oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. I've just been working a lot of Sundays, but making that sweet sweet overtime. So you know, <laughs> making that sweet sweet green. That's sweet, sweet money, but it's having the hopes of one day perhaps being like our dingleberries that we talk mm-hmm. about on this show. Except I'm not. I'm never going to have that kind of money. That's that's stupid money. <laughs> Speaking of stupid money, would we like to talk about stupid money? I'd love to talk about some stupid money. Okay, are you going first? Yeah, I would love to go first. It's been so long, we literally just don't have the the order anymore. We're starting over. Is this the official start of season two, quote unquote? It should be. At this point, it 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 freaking should be. I honestly and that We're we're just gonna say it's season two, even though we've had like, hey, we haven't uploaded in a couple months before. We've never had a consistent upload schedule. So can we really count season one as season one? <sighs> sure. sure. Why not? That's like three years of <laughs> and then uh oh no, it's perfect. Honestly, with like especially with um my ideas like what I'm what I'm talking about today and starting and like I don't know, it's just yeah, it, it fits. I, I think it makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. This is this is new starts for all of us. Yes. Let's let's do it. We're this is the start of a new era. All right. Wonderful. Well, again, Gilded Gang, thank you so much for um, those of you who are still listening to us. Thank you for sticking with us and supporting us. Um, sometimes it's been hard to support our own selves, but we're we're <laughs> making it. We're doing it. We're trying, man. Uh, we're trying. Oh my goodness. So. All right, gang and Haley, um, I had a really, really cool idea. Um, honestly, this was something that popped up on my Facebook feed of all things. And so and I liked the first one that I saw and then I started getting more of the same thing, but different. And I loved it. So I compiled a, a small list of these particular outrageously expensive items into a small little series over the course of the next maybe four or five um, episodes that we do, and I have entitled it Quazy Cribs. Crazy Cribs. Is this MTV Cribs? Hey, welcome to my crib. Oh, hey, MTV. Open the door. Oh, hi. Uh, hi. Didn't see you there. Come on in. Exactly. Yes. Just like that. Um, But yeah, so I started coming across off these homes that had either been something before and were renovated and just had ungodly amounts of money spent upon um, and turned into something like lavish and ridiculous or something that was already lavish and ridiculous and made more lavish and ridiculous. Why does this remind me of McMansion Hell? <sighs> Have you ever seen McMansion Hell? No, I've never seen it. I've heard of it. I know what you're referencing, but I've never seen it. Um, the person who runs that account, just they if no one knows what this is, it's an account called McMansion Hell. And they basically find house listings and uh, they are an architecture student and they will just like make a little PowerPoint presentation with like text explaining why each portion of the house is like, boy, that's a choice. And it's it gives me life. <laughs> OK, I'm so- <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen. Continue. No, all good. So, yeah. So for the next four or five episodes, uh, I- I'm going to detail five of for me, some of the most interesting places that have that have now become we'll call them cribs so crazy cribs and uh, to start off with we're going to go all the way back to 1859 england 
So, an ancient crib. An ancient crib. An ancient crib. An ancient crib. Oh, now I'm excited. <laughs> so, um, in uh, so so 1859, this would be like very very prior to the start of our civil war uh, here in America. Of course, England. Um, they've gone through their stuff throughout the decades as well. Um, this was we're smack dab in the middle of like Victorian, Victorian times. England, yes, absolutely. Uh, and. England is in the middle of their industrial revolution. America hasn't quite hit it yet. Right. And also, um, of course, England has always boasted uh, about their Navy and how strong and how fortified and how well funded that their Navy is and advanced their Navy is. And really, nobody else can tell them any different. Um, So there was a fort that was built in the middle of the sea, not attached to any land. There was a fort uh, that was built as directly of a royal commission in 1859, and the name of this fort was called Spitbank Fort. It had, Spitbank. It had a couple other names too. It was also known as Spit <laughs> Spit Sand Fort, or simply Spit Fort. I like Spit Fort. I just imagine somebody standing like on the edge of uh, the parapet and. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. And just like oh. God. We've got to think of a name for this. What? Oh, look at Jerry. He's just cast a loogie over the... Just... Oh, spit. Oh, well spit. Well spit. Spit bang we don't. We don't have any spittoons, <laughs> and he's using the he's using the sea as his, as his spittoon. Yes. Quite smart. Very good, Jerry. Very good. <laughs> so, yeah. So, who knows how they came up with this name? It doesn't... It, uh, I couldn't really find that, but that's not really important. Maybe the spray of the ocean feels like it's spitting on Sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, it doesn't really say. Um, but this was an actual, active naval installation from, um, from about eight, uh, 1878 to 1956. It was an active naval station. So uh, this was actually a set of four armor-plated forts. Uh, that was designed by Captain E.H. Stewart, overseen by the Assistant Inspector General of Fortifications, Colonel W.F.D. Gervois. Uh, the construction on this started in 1867 and was completed in 1878 at a cost of then, uh, in 1878, of 167,300 pounds which is the equivalent of about two or three million dollars today. Yeah. Uh, Spitbank is smaller than its two main solent forts, which is Horse Sand Fort and No Man's Land Fort. The main purpose of Spit, uh, Spit, uh, Spit Sand was a further line of defense for ships that made it past the two main forts. So uh, if, if somehow uh, enemy ships, enemy naval ships were able to break the defense and break the barriers of the two main forts, um, essentially Spit Sand was the last line of defense. Um, it was originally planned. Well, for, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. It is about 49 meters or 162 feet in diameter across its base. There's one floor and a basement and armor plating only on the seaward side. So not nothing towards the land. Um, They're like, there's, we're only going to armor gonna, where yeah, we think the yeah, ship is going to yeah, be. We're, we're like, in their minds, we're like, we are never going to be attacked from behind ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Why do I get the feeling that uh, we're about to be attacked from behind? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't say, but honestly, I can see that happening. And honestly, that was a poor, probably a poor planning um, 
You gotta defend, unless you are literally built into a cliffside. Yeah, and if history has taught us anything, it's protect your ass. Protect your ass. You gotta have somebody looking at your back. <laughs> uh, so it was originally planned to have been armed with nine 10 inch, 18 ton rifled muzzle loader guns on the seaward side and six seven ton guns on the landward side. However, by the time of the completion, the plan had changed so much that the seaward side received nine guns. And uh, from 1884, more than 12 inch breech loading guns were installed, and these were in service until after World War One, So, we're flash-forwarding to 1898. The role of the fort was changed to defend against light craft, and the roof was fitted out with two 4.7-inch guns, so those are machine guns and searchlights. In the early 1900s, all of these three original large guns were removed. Minor upgrades to the smaller guns and searchlights continued throughout the years. And a report actually back in 2020 stated that during the Second World War, the forts were used to defend the Portsmouth docks. So this uh, particular fort is just off of the bank of Portsmouth there in uh, there in England. Um, so the, these forts were used to defend the Portsmouth dockyards and the life on site was pretty grim. Those choosing to serve were deliberately chosen for their inability to swim to avoid any attempt to escape or defect. What? So yeah, if you served on that, more than likely, you didn't know how to swim. And the only way off it was by boat. And hence on it too as well. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so so we're flashing forward again to 1956. Um, the fort remained unused after the abolition of coastal artillery in 1956. The fort was declared a surplus to requirements in 1962 and then put up for sale the following year unsuccessfully. The fort was then then declared a scheduled monument in 1967. So scheduled monument, not going to be touched. You know, it was there, you know, part of history. Um, However, the Ministry of Defense later sold the fort to a private buyer in 1982. Um, This is the opposite of what happened with Stonehenge. Right. Like Stonehenge was bought by a private buyer and then given to the government. This time the government was like, You want it? You know, I know we declared this to be uh, a monument. We need the money, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, uh, But... Oh, yeah, because they, they sold it amid because uh, in the 80s, there was a whole but of de- uh, a whole bunch of defense spending cuts in England in the early 1980s. So mm. this, maybe they sell this as a way to kind of re- uh, recap some of their capital. So who knows? Maybe. But uh, following. That seems plausible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So that sounds like something the government would do. Um, so following the purchase of the fort, it underwent restoration and was opened up to the public as a museum. Beginning June 4th, 2002, the fort was used as a location for Banged Up with Beetle, which was a British TV show where TV personality Jeremy Beetle was locked in the dungeons. Cameras followed him as he coped with survival, plus learning skills with a different member of the public each week. The, I love the I love the uh, coped with survival as though the man does not have a TV crew. 
Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's like fucking Bear grills, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly, but yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I'm so alone. I got to cope with this. And then like... Dude, and, I'm slowly <laughs> losing my mind. Then it's like, I guess I have to eat this cockroach. <laughs> so these skills were put to test as a live insert each Saturday evening into Art Index Saturday Night Takeaway. Um, think of like Saturday Night Live, but not quite as cheek, cheek tongue in cheek. Um, the fort was also featured on a tw- 2006 episode of Most Haunted as part of, of an uh, of an eight series. It was a venue for a festival in the some year some year some year summer of 2009 for uh, for trance and hard dance parties. Psytrance. I have never heard of psytrance. Is that like psychedelic trance? Psychedelic trance music? So I'm telling you right now, I absolutely would go to a rave in this place. Like, sign me the fuck up. Oh, 100%. Can you just, oh, that would be so dope. Uh, Just out in the middle of nowhere and just. I have partied in a World War II bunker before, and it's weird and it's fun. That's cool. That's a weird fun fact yeah. for you. Um, good to know. Yeah, no, it was when I was studying abroad in Sylvania and I went over to somebody's dorm or apartment building or whatever. And there was just like a bunch of people in the back of the building. And we were like, what the hell's out here? Turns out World War II bunker. It looks like a hill. And then you go into the hill and there was a DJ and lights. And you like everyone was wearing big puffy coats because it was still like February. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now we're getting to the good stuff. Okay. In 2009, it was put up for sale for 800,000 pounds. Good chunk of change. But it was... It's a good chunk of change, but still not as high as we're used to hearing. Like, you could buy, uh, like, a normal-sized house here in California. Like, it would be a normal house in literally any other part of this country, yeah. but it's $800,000 in California. But it was bought, reportedly, for over a million pounds. Ah, all right. Then, there were some people fighting for it. It was then remodeled, and the remodel work, uh, they spent a total of eight million pounds. Whoa! Whoa! An investment company, Clarenco, was responsible for converting or for buying and converting them. Um, Clarenco's chairman, Mike Clare, bought Spitbank Fort. Uh, with the renovations um, starting in t- uh, uh, latter part of 2012. So, what did he turn this thing into? What was it renovated yeah, into? A, this is a great yeah. question. This particular, what was once a monument, what was once a naval fort to defend against enemies seen and unseen because they didn't protect the ass. This was renovated to a luxury spa hotel and retreat with nine bedroom suites. I want to go to here. It's going to be way more than I could ever afford in my life, but I want to go to here. Uh, this was, It was described as a 33,000 square foot boutique retreat on three floors. Um do you have photos? Oh, 100% have photos. So when uh, Clarenco first bought the fort, he knew that he loved him, but he knew, and he knew that they had potential. Um, so I'm going to talk about it first, and then I'm going to send pictures. There are, okay, there are nine bedroom suites. There is a sauna, a hot pool, and a wine cave. 
I want to go to here. Uh, uh, so most of the fort's clientele was that of a was that of like a marine yacht club, obviously very very wealthy obviously. yacht club people. Um, in recent years, um, the it's descendants of Jerry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The spitter. Um, the oh yes, my great grandfather Jerry actually uh, helped name <laughs> this place. I'm glad to be here, continuing the tradition. Oh. Um. Each bedroom is furnished in a different way and all have very quirky aspects, such as um, the all the bedrooms are from the converted gun rooms. Some rooms even have empty shells that have left holes in the floor and could have easily been covered up completely. However, every aspect of this historical monument has been kept. The uh, the chairman of they were like no that's history yeah, that's history baby. bitch we call that um, people can use a fishing rod and fish from within their bedrooms in some of them adding that many of okay, them okay wait how big are these shell holes like like probably uh, I would say probably four to six inches in diameter oh my god so many of them have I mean that is a fish. tripping hazard <laughs> like you have to sign a waiver before you. Before you get to stay there. If you twist and break your ankle, that's on you. Uh, TripAdvisor described the place as perfect and unique, (laughs) noting that it has 160 plus years of history that added to the rich, unique experience. And then the fort also has a signature cocktail called the Solent Breeze, which guests can learn how to mix themselves. Exciting. Um, there has. Do we know what's in it, uh, or do you have to be a guest in order to learn? Uh, I, I did not look that up, but I will momentarily. Um, Clarenco has also hosted uh, many famous events at the fort, including a James Bond themed party, naturally, <laughs> casino, yep. casino nights, historic tours, and launches. Before, I just want to go to so many. I think it's my dream. So we talked about my garden party dream mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. I think my entire goal in life is I just want to dress up in period time clothing and go to places like these where like parties are happening. (laughs) I just want everyone to be dressed in like, okay, for this one, we're doing Edwardian. Let's go, folks. And like, (laughs) yes, I'm wandering around an island fort right now wearing long silk gloves and tiny shoes. (laughs) Can can you just, can you imagine how like cool and rich like you'd feel just being on that just yes part of a party just be like i'm a badass bitch this is this is my goal in life i think that we've we've done it we've discovered it Uh, (laughs) okay so james bond theme nights casino nights again still just picturing myself just wearing just beautiful vintage clothing. Okay, yeah. moving on. So yes. accompanying the tasty views, as that's what it quotes it quotes as, it's very tasty views. There is mm-hmm. the obligatory inclusion. There's a pool, spa, sauna, roof terrace, fire pit, and sun deck, as well as the not-so-obligatory inclusion of a library to unwind, a training center to stay lean, and corporate offices to take care of business away from business. I'm for everything except the corporate offices. If you are going there to be on a retreat, bitch, you better be on a retreat. Enjoy right. this fort. Right. Enjoy this fort for being a fort. 
Unless your dream is to be like, I'm a Navy officer and I'm going to cosplay that and and I'm going to move ships around on this map in the room. So I'm going to send you some PXGRs. Please do. Let me find the right one to send you first. Where are you at? There you are. Uh-huh. Okay, so this first one is going to be of the top-down view of the what fort the itself. Fuck? What the fuck? So describe okay, what you're hold seeing. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is not at all what I was expecting. I was expecting a crumbling castle. It's not that. It's a giant circle. It's a big concrete circle and it looks like the top of it is a big white like helicopter pad but it's got like it's a broken up deck thing big letters that you can read from the google the google satellite view that says the google spitbank fort the google. yeah the google the, those satellites the, they specifically wrote it so those satellites not not for like plane reasons or anything like that um there's a tiny red lighthouse on it, which I enjoy deeply. Mm-hmm. But it looks like it's a it's a it's like a donut. It's a donut it, because it's a big, tall, concrete circle, and then it just has a hole in the middle. And I guess that's where life is. You can see a couple of pools. Yeah. I still want to go here, but it's not nearly as romantic as I was thinking it was. Sure, sure. I'm kind of, I'm intrigued and disappointed. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. Okay, so I just sent you another picture of a little more close up of the interior of the donut, as it were. Oh, okay. The interior of the donut is more romantic. Okay, so it's all like brickwork building. Did they add the exterior donut? Because I feel like the brickwork building is what's original here. And then they were like, we got to fortify this with, with concrete donuts. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, during the construction, they, re- they re-fortified it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, would, okay. Yeah, they wouldn't have had access so, to concrete like this back in um, 1868. 18, yeah. So. 58. Excuse me. Uh, 1858. 58. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's pretty. This is like a nighttime shot. There's again, there's like another hole going down. There's like all these different staircases and um, the brickwork makes it infinitely more romantic. Oh, by the way, guys, if you're new here, go to the Instagram at Outrageously Unnecessary to see these photos so you understand what the hell we're talking about here. Because otherwise, Concrete Donut does not make any sense to anyone. That is also true. <laughs> I swear that what I'm saying is extremely accurate, though. So now Ooh. I'm sending you the Underground Bar Lounge, where you can learn how to make that solvent breeze drink. This is cool as fuck. Are you kidding me? Nah. It's like, so, uh, it's when you think of like an underground wine cellar where it's made out of brick, but it's got the, the arches are hitting each other. So the roof is like different levels of curvy. Oh, yeah. Honest to God, this seems very cozy and I want to go to here. <laughs> so now I'm sending you one of the master suite bedrooms. Oh, it has a beautiful ocean view. Well, duh, Haley. It's surrounded on all sides by ocean. Come on. Get it together. But it's like the the whole... They did it up real nice. It's all window, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's... 
it's it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. It's pretty. Whoa. And then I just sent you. Okay, another so this bedroom. is one of the other bedrooms. So you said all of the bedrooms have different themes, right? Yeah, the, the different quirky aspects to them. You can definitely tell. So the first one seemed like amazing seaside bougie hotel because the whole thing was like windows and nothing but ocean view. Everything is crisp and white and blah. And then this one is like, we've got a fur rug on the floor and it seems like a medieval, like, king's room, but with nicer furniture. And yeah, it seems very regal, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I equally want to be in this one, but you've only got the one tiny window. So do, do you want the ocean view with modernity or do you want like you're in a you're in a medieval like dark room, but it's cozy? <laughs> oh, dining area has been sent to me. Uh, same feeling as the uh, wine cellar where you've got like the brickwork ceiling that like are meeting each other and everything is curvy and fun. I want to go here. What's up with the chains on the ceilings, though? There's a lot. There's chains on all of the ceilings, and it really and truly seems to me like somebody should be hanging from those rafters, like. Or they're just in the kinky stuff. Yeah, you're. Well, like it's like you'd be going to sit down at the dining table, and then somebody is hanging from their wrists from the ceiling, and you get to tickle their feet as you go by. Like that's part of their torture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interactive. <laughs> very, very interactive. All right, I'm sending you a few more pictures to, to look through and to talk through. Okay. Let's see here. We got the exterior. We're on the outside again, but I assume we're on the floor level of yes. the donut. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this looks like... And it's like cobble streets, which is really cute. This just seems like a really cute back alley right? for, like, some adorable, like, upscale London town thing. Yes. Uh, actually, somebody described this as one of the best supervillain layers you could have. Yes. Yes. I feel that in my soul. Mm-hmm. This is a supervillain layer to the max. Okay. This new room that you sent me, it's all in black and white. And there's like mm. a bathtub in the middle of the room on a podium. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, or you could go to the room where the entire ceiling is glass. That's fun. And there's also a, a hole at the... Yeah, that's covered in glass, like a, and you look directly down into the sea. Yeah. It's, would you like to see your doom, Mr. Bond? And then, like, yep. you press a button, and the glass floor starts moving away, and you dangle down, and the shark's coming up. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Heather, there you have it. Um, but the last little bit of trivia I'm going to leave with you is that due to the pandemic, um, its operations had to close down and it's now up for sale for over $5.5 million. Oh, they had to sell it? Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't have just gone on hiatus like us? No. They, yep. They, uh, the, the, uh, yep. That uh, Clearing Co. company is yep selling it. That's uh, on auction for $5.5 million. So, well, that's too bad. I enjoyed every ounce of this. I truly did. It's utterly ridiculous, but like knowing that it doesn't belong to one person and it's a hotel makes me feel slightly better. Absolutely. So, there's the first of my crazy quibs, people. Uh, Spit bank crazy for quid. it. Awesome. Well, shall we go to a chump change? Chump change. <laughs> Okay, chump change. Shall we get to it? 
Yeah, let's get to it, chump change. Chump change. So um, do you have a chump change today? If not, I have a chump change today. I do not. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Okay, I will be sending you a link. Uh, But basically, I don't remember where I saw it on, but I'm sure it was one of uh, the the many uh, image sharing sites that I am on. But basically, I saw this image and this uh, uh, headline. Sorry, I forgot the word for headline for a second. And it was, Father of the Year, a Vietnamese man has built a miniature writable version of the $9.6 million Bugatti Centodici. I probably pronounced that wrong. For his son, using nothing but wood. That is unfathomably awesome yeah. and stupid. It's so it's so stupid, but it's beautiful. And basically, uh, it is this Trump change is exactly what that headline is that I just read to you. If you uh, so the the link that I found is from luxurylaunches.com. And if that's not a rich person website, don't know what to tell you. Um, but it, you click on it, and it's just this adorable image of this like. Very tiny, adorable Vietnamese child who is like leaning on just this gorgeously hand carved sports car. And then you go on to read it, and basically, this guy took 40 days and decided, I'm gonna make a kid sized Bugatti. He used oak wood. Um, I don't know how much it would cost, but um, he has, like, working lights in it. I think you can drive it around, but, like, everything is hand-carved, and it's it's utterly ridiculous, but also completely amazing. But also, what tiny child? This child cannot be more than two years old. What two-year-old exactly. is going to be driving around a Bugatti? I don't get to drive around a Bugatti, and I'm 25. Mm. Mm. Preach, 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 preach. preach. <laughs> But yeah, any thoughts? Um, my first thought is WTF, mate. And then my second thought <laughs> is Australian. that kid is literally the dopest piece of shit I've ever seen. I just, I want to, I don't like, even know how much this thing would cost, but you have to think like 40, 40 days to build it. And the amount yeah, of I, like I, the amount of of engineering. Yeah. Like like the engineering that it took for this guy, because like I, I clicked on the link and I read that like he put a electronic motor in it for the propulsion system, like and it runs like on a two volt battery or something. But just the ingenuity and the creativity and the just the engineering frame of mind. Like I don't know what this guy does for a living or if he has an engineering background, but just the the know-how to do this. It's like, uh, it's just insane. His uh, his time and his expertise and his skills are worth a lot of money. And now this two year old is worth a lot of money. Absolutely. And but see, my mind is going, how do we know it's worth nine point six million dollars? Did he auction it? Did he? No, like, no, no, so- no. The uh, car that it is based off of is worth nine point six million. Uh, uh. So well, if you, you know were to that... buy the real life Bugatti, you'd be spending nine point six. But if you want the child size wood one, I don't know how to. I don't know how to price that out. I don't know, but you know, someone like when that kid outgrows it, someone is going to pay a hefty amount for that thing. Oh, absolutely! Like you some weird collector is going to grab at least that. a million. At least a million. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever this guy spent in wood cost and you know cost for that, he's going to get all that back plus. 
120% easily. Yep, 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 yep. So anyways, that was my chump change. change. It was just something fast that I saw. I saw that clickbait and I was like, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, uh, well, actually, Haley, I do have a chump change, actually. Okay. Think about it. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I'm a chump and I got change. There's my chump change. Let's hear it. That's it. I'm a chump and I've got change. That was it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting all patiently to be like, okay, what I you know. got? <laughs> some of the viewers got it. Some of the, some of them got we it. We have 100%. viewers now. <laughs> I mean, listeners. <laughs> some people listen with their eyes. And they listen, listen with, with their, their eyes. Maybe if we start doing transcripts, they'll uh, they'll be viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, anyway, he's got dad jokes. Uh, uh, yep. Okay. Uh, Can I regale I you to... with a story? Please do. Please regale me. Okay. So, I think that it is high time that we talk about the richest man in all of history. Oh, gosh. What? How, how, first of all, how have we not talked about this person? That's ever literally so one far? of the first things I wrote was like, how how has this man not been talked about in 30 episodes? It's time to talk about Mansa Musa. Uh, The man who, even though he's been dead for 700 years, still has the record for the most money ever. His fortune was, according to time, quote, incomprehensible. (laughs) Mansa Musa, or Emperor Musa I was born around 1280 AD in the Empire of Mali, which is located in West Africa. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mali, as a country, still exists today, generally the same location, not quite as large as it used to be, because, again, used to be an empire, now it's just country. Um, So his grandfather was the one who established the Mali Empire, and then Musa became the Mansa either in 1307 or 1312, kind of depending on which source you're looking at. But somewhere in early 1300s, he becomes the Musa, which, by the way, Musa means emperor. So, uh, or sorry, Mansa means emperor. Musa is his name. So by calling him Mansa, you're calling him emperor. Blah. Uh, so, but also... Forgive any inaccuracies, I am only a person doing this as a hobby, (laughs) and also a lot of the history for this, one, is from 700 years ago, and two, is based on oral tradition, so you lose some things. Um, Do you think that that Mansa, do you think that started with, you know, like a couple guys, like, you know, looking at this guy and one of them leaning over to the other saying, what a Mansa. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) You disappoint me in so many ways. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um, the Empire of Mali was really, really wealthy. It was sitting on a natural deposit of gold and salt. And most people were like, the gold is what made them rich. Nah, man, it was the salt. People like flavorful yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. You said gold and salt. I was like, oh, salt, 100%. Salt, absolutely. Like, if everyone just remembers the Silk Road and how, like, there were wars fought over spices, people want their food to taste good. Um, Uh, Anyways, they also made quite a bit off of the trade of ivory, which makes me kind of sad, but they probably also had more elephants than today. Um, Now, 
Mansa Musa, was, uh, he made some extremely smart additions to his empire. So he spread out to Timbuktu. And using his wealth, uh, he built the Great Mosque of Timbuktu, uh, which still exists today. Uh, and Ooh. then the Mali Empire was kind of perfectly positioned uh, to be the center of land and sea trade. So they were kind of like in the middle of West Africa and they had access to like the countries around them and then also the ocean. So they were like, yeah, we can trade with anybody that we fucking want to. Um mm. And so basically, this is the 1300s. Europe was busy just dying. They were dying in complete squalor, dying of plague. Like, everything was gross. Their living conditions were awful. And then Mansa Musa's over here in Africa creating one of the greatest and most profitable empires ever. Uh, to put it into perspective, he ruled all or parts of modern-day Mauritania, Senegal, Gambia, Guinea, Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, Nigeria, and Chad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of countries that's um, a lot of countries that's a lot of countries this man this man owned all of west africa man. yeah so little history on mansa musa was that he was a devout muslim he didn't force his religion on any of his people which was super cool uh he hmm. did try to make it like the the religion of the noble class though and everyone seemed kind of cool with that but he wasn't like <clears throat> cruel to his his people being like you're not muslim you don't get shit didn't do that um but he made sure that everything like in the way that he ruled was a benefit to islam so okay. he brought education to his people he made the trade uh like good and so life in general was good people were well fed they were wealthy they were wealthy or at least comfortable like he genuinely took care of his people and his empire and as a devout member of islam though he had to take care of the five pillars of islam and one of the pillars of islam is that at some point in your life if you have the means and are physically able you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And so in the year 1324, Musa decided that he needed to make the 4,000-mile trek from West Africa to Mecca. <laughs> That's a long way. Okay. Yeah, it is a long That's way. That's a long way. So Mansa Musa, being the emperor, traveled in style. He gathered 60,000 of his closest friends and set off wait wait i'm sorry i'm sorry i have maybe eight friends of which one of those may, may not be as close as the other seven you're included in that don't worry Haley. Um, <laughs> i want to know who the one person left out is <laughs> you'll, you'll never know um it's, it's actually somebody you don't know, so it's totally fine. Oh, okay. No, like, I can't imagine, like, 60,000 of his closest friends. Yes, I I don't even want more than eight friends, let alone 60,000. Yeah, no, he was like, I'm going to take a city, and we're going to go. And, of course, like, what I mean by friends is I mean concubines, slaves, musicians, attendants, like, Ah, yes. His core. Yes, the, the paid friends. The, the paid, paid friends. Friend. Got it. Well, the paid Got and it. unpaid friends. I don't think the slaves or the concubines were paid. <laughs> but oh, um, these numbers might be a little bit off, but the general consensus is that he had about 80 to 100 camels loaded with gold dust 
Each camel had about 300 pounds of gold that it was carrying. Poor camels. Jesus. I mean, each camels carry people and people are like 150 to 200 something pounds. So yeah, yeah I guess it's true. Yeah. But it's still, that's a lot. That's a lot. Dust, think, of, think about this though. 100 camels <laughs> each carrying 300 pounds of gold. Yep. That's, that's a, over 30 tons. That's, that's a lot of gold. Um, and then he had 500 slaves, each bearing gold staves, and they paraded in front of him to announce that he was coming. Like, think of um, think of the scene in Aladdin when Genie oh, is, like, making That's the... That's exactly what I went to. Make way for, <laughs> for Zalimansa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's actually exactly it, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you just, like, take the entirety of Prince Ali coming into Agrabah and just... Assume magnify, that, that. magnify that and then put Mansa Musa there. You got it. Because uh, all of his Hell slaves yeah. and his concubines, they were all wearing Persian silk and brocade, which is really, really nice for a slave to wear. For a slave to be wearing silk? Are you shitting me? Yeah, he must have thought highly and he must have treated them super well. He actually did. He did treat the consensus is that basically he treated them very, very well. Um, and apparently 12,000 of the, 12,000 of the slaves each had to carry four pounds of gold on them. Okay. All right. You got, you got your backpack, you got your toothbrush, you got your little camper stove with you and also four pounds of gold. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, so Mansa Musa first had to head to Cairo, Egypt on his journey to Mecca. Uh, so basically you go, um, you travel east. From Mali over up into the corner of Egypt, and then you end up crossing the ocean, and you get over into the Middle East and Mecca. Like, that's that's the journey that we're taking right now. So he makes it, uh, so he's on his way to Cairo, and he used his vast wealth at every single stop to give his parade and uh, residents of wherever he was staying rare food and desserts. Uh, he was like, I'm stopped here. Okay, kind people. Thank you for putting me up here. Have delicious delicacy. You will never taste again in your life. Like that's just how, that's just who he was. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a saying that he built a mosque every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, but like uh, Friday must day. No, genuinely it was, he would, uh, like he he thought that it was something that he had to do was just like give education and religion to the masses so every time that they stopped somewhere he'd like leave some people he'd hire some people or leave some people behind and be like build a mask and then move on i know and there had to be some some person that was like why and he was like well it's friday i must do it (laughs) again i just hate you so much So, anyways, um, I'm here all day, folks. I, I think we're up to like four dad jokes now in in less than an hour. How dare yeah. you? I know, I know. Okay, so um, when Musa arrived in Cairo, he was basically a tourist. He was exchanging gold for little tchotchkes and trinkets. He's showing up at the stands, being like, "Oh, look at this bobblehead! I need it." I need it. I need it. So he was, but he's living the high life, like uh, eating the good food and just like spending his money as much as he could. Um, 
And then, of course, there was a uh, there was a bit of time where there was some contention between contention between Mansa Musa and the Sultan of Egypt because there was a tradition where visiting royalty had to come and kiss the feet of the Sultan. And Mansa Musa was like, "Why should I kiss your feet? I'm above that. I'm an emperor. I have more than you." And right. uh, he was of a higher rank. But I think eventually, just to like not have to go to war or like have bad blood between everyone he's like eh fuck it i'll suck it up and then he went over and uh kissed the feet and and moved on but the joke is kind of on the sultan because mansa musa actually spent so much gold while he was in cairo that he flooded the market and collapsed their economy for 11 years holy oh i'm sorry 12 years Oof. oof Just imagine that. Literally, you have so much gold. You have so much gold and you are spending so much money that now the value of gold has gone down because every single person in Cairo has gold now. So, yeah, that's our boy Mansa. So uh, in an attempt to like help these economies that he accidentally inflated, like he didn't mean to do this. But then once he realized what he was doing, he would go back to those places and then borrow as much gold as he could carry at really high interest rates on on his return trip from Mali. So he goes to Mecca and then when he's on his way back, he's like, I'm going to try to help you. So I'm just going to borrow this back at really high interest rates, which I can still pay. And that's going to level out your economy again. Man. I mean, okay. Like on a, on a serious note, he had to be very, very, wise and smart business wise like for yeah. him to even like think about that like he had to be a really intelligent guy he was really too. really conscious of just everything like when i say that like, like economics he expanded, ergonomics the whole thing he like he expanded the empire so he was just so smart when it came to like i know what the people want and need i understand how to make things beneficial for everyone but mostly myself that, so i come out on top <laughs> i want i wonder if the fact is like i've never heard of him until today i wonder the fact that he's not talked about or because he was such a good person like i feel like most of the people that were talked about in history like yeah did some good but they also did some shitty stuff too i feel i feel like it's more along the lines of he's african it's it's and i don't mean this as like a racist thing a race probably has something to do with it but it's more that like we in our stupid western center culture are like europe like, how much do we know about Eastern countries or things that happened in Africa or South America? Zip. Okay. We don't know shit. That's true. We know Europe, and that's about it. And then that's freaking sad, Haley. Yes. That ma- that hurts my heart actually. Now just thinking about that, it makes me like how little I know. How little I know. It makes me very, very appreciative of the fact that in ninth grade I had a global issues class, which was taught by Mr. McCulley, who looked like a lumberjack, and I loved Mr. McCulley. And Mr. McCulley was adamant that one, we memorized all of the countries on every continent. He's like, you are going to look at this map, and you are going to actually be able to tell me what a country is. Like, you don't get the ignorance. <laughs> and, uh, and we spent, we spent like we had sessions learning about uh like the middle east and like the sunni versus shiite islam and then we like mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. we actually fucking learned about that and yeah it wasn't very much but i appreciate that he made sure that like no we're gonna learn about something besides europe (laughs) yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, Anyways. no, most people don't know. They don't have a goddamn clue about Mansa Musa, and he's the richest man in the entire yeah. goddamn world. Still, yeah. seven hundred years later. Um, yeah. So, well, let's. If, if I'm going to say anything, if I well, if I'm going to say anything to our listeners, you really Musa listen and Musa study him. So the worst. You're the worst. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was uh, Mansa Musa's trip to Cairo that actually made the empire of Mali well known to the rest of the world. So up until this point, they hadn't really been heard, uh, heard of outside of West Africa. So his wealth became such a legend that there is a drawing of him holding a scepter and a gold nugget that was drawn onto the uh, 1375 world map in the Catalan atlas which was one of the most important maps in existence for medieval era <clears throat> so i'm gonna actually okay. send you a picture of this so he is so important that he became the face of africa on this on this map um oh no don't do this to me sorry uh discord is being stupid and it's like you can't send that there we go gotcha He's just holding a scepter and a nugget of gold, and he's all dressed in gold, and he's, like, it's uh, just kind of amazing. I know, and he actually, he looks like such a nice guy. Do we know if that's actually what he looked like? No idea. No, but it looks like but a nice guy. But it looks like a picture. nice guy. I can believe. I can, I can dream. Um, what, la what language would he have spoken? Mali? Um, I guess. I'm actually uh, Mo not Mo Mali? sure. Okay, yeah. well, that's something it, I'll look up. Um, okay. Anyways, um, so finally, when Musa returned from his pilgrimage to Mecca, he focused his efforts on making a new empire edition of Timbuktu. So remember how I said that he expanded to Timbuktu? Yeah. Uh, so he expands to Timbuktu uh, and he makes Timbuktu a haven for religion and scholars. He had schools created and a university built, and he commissioned the building of a mosque, which is known... Oh, I am going to butcher this, and I am so sorry to anyone who actually knows how to pronounce this. Uh, it is the known as the... Jinguerber Jin Mosque? Ooh, there's no way I pronounce that correctly. Uh, I believe it's just known as the Great Mosque. Um, <clears throat> but it still stands today. And it's actually, it's so cool. It's made completely out of, like, uh, kind of this adobe feeling stuff. It's, hold on. Um, I don't know. Everything is rounded and soft. And it looks like it's made out of sand. And it kind of, like, it just feels ancient. <clears throat> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I just sent you a picture. What do you see? Let me see here. Ooh. So it looks like it looks like a giant sandcastle, A of all. Uh, and there's like sandy spikes coming out of everywhere. Um, but it's not. I think it's probably like their sandstone or rock or whatever, you know, type of material. But it looks like a. I don't know. It's it's, it's given me like Genghis Khan like esque and like old like very like that type of I feel that. you know uh, I feel that yeah yeah very much uh, Mongol type fortress even though it's I know it's not but it's we're nowhere it's, near Mongolia but that's just the feeling I know I know I know uh, but it's it's super cool um, 
Yeah, but it's still man. standing. You can still go visit that today. It is That's awesome. It's, yeah. it is, architecture, yeah, man. Yeah, it's like 700 Architecture is so dope. Speaking of architecture, so he paid the architect of the mosque. He found a really good architect, and he was like, I'm going to pay you some money. And he gave him 200 kilograms of gold to design it. <laughs> and I looked up how much that would be worth today in U.S. money. That's $11,522,248. The architect's like, okay, sir, so I'm going to, uh, for, for this uh, expenditure, I'm going to be charging, I'm going to give you money. Oh, no, yes, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to tell you exactly how much money. No, I give you money. And he just hands him a pile of gold. And then he, then he just gives him money. Yeah. That's what Mansa Musa does. He just shows up and like has like several sacks of gold and just goes, here you go. Here, money. Money. Um, uh, I have, I like picture him having like a really deep and kind voice. I don't know I why. I do too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all in all, Mansa Musa, he was super amazing. The only terrible thing about him that I found, uh, uh, and it wasn't even about him, is just that his pilgrimage brought his kingdom into the eyes of the shitbag of Europe. And so once Europe was like, oh my God, Africa has gold? Africa has gold? What? And so right. um, uh, the Portuguese took an interest in um, plundering his empire mm -hmm. which isn't great mm -hmm. real real shitbag move there portugal so uh but this was after musa's reign um and uh also i believe that his grandson didn't understand uh business quite the way that musa did so the mali empire kind of fell apart which is unfortunate but like that's nothing on mansa musa that's just shit happens but it was one of the most profitable times in all of African history because Mansa Musa was super smart and adept and amazing. And by the way, do you want to know how much he's actually worth? Would love to know. $400 billion. Unreal. That's more than Jeff Bezos. Unreal. By a lot. By a lot. Mm -hmm. $400 billion. Uh, so yeah, he uh, he continues to have the claim of richest man in all of history, and rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good night. <laughs> you are That's just amazing. blown away right now. You're like, nope, I'm done. I just... <sighs> Money. Money. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. Money. Oh all gosh. right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what you hear, uh, hopefully we'll be putting out content on a more regular basis now that we're kind of back into the swing of things and our hiatus is uh, over. So if you like what you hear, give us a, a like, a subscribe. Ooh, I sound like a YouTuber. Uh, go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, follow us on them shoshmeeds. Uh, which uh, Twitter is at OnnecessaryPod and uh, Instagram is at OutrageouslyUnnecessary. And that's if you want to see any of the photos or what have you from today's episode so you know what the fuck we're talking about. In any case... Heck yeah, don't, don't spit in the sand, you Musa, listen to us. <laughs> is that the title? <laughs> 
All right. We love you, Gilded Gang. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You guys take care. We love you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye.